It can be scary when you think about how much of our so-called personal and confidential information is actually accessible in so many places and by so many different people and organizations. You need to learn what's being done with this information and how to keep yourself secure. Welcome to My Connected Life with Tyler Cohen Wood. When you're in control of your data in cyberspace, you feel all the more secure. Now, here's your host, Tyler Cohen Wood. Hi, welcome to My Connected Life. I'm your host, Tyler Cohen Wood. Today, we have a very exciting episode. We are going to talk about cybersecurity insurance, what you need to know to make sure that you're protecting yourself, your company, and your family. Now, I would like to introduce my co-host for today, Tina Gravel. Tina, welcome. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Well, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Uh, I'm a senior vice president over at AppGate here in uh, the U.S., and uh, I'm very delighted to be a part of this. Most exciting is that I get to uh, introduce a, a gentleman and a scholar. He's from the U.K. That's why I get to talk like that. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm not an actress. I wouldn't be doing this if I were, would I? Anyway, back to Bill. Bill Mew. Uh, is a privacy expert. He says privacy. Uh, he is the CEO of the crisis team and uh, just an amazing man. I have known him for some time now. And uh, given his last name, uh, he is the uh, the king of Catterday. I'll let you ponder that one for a few minutes. All right. All right, then. Bill, so, welcome. Bill has written some absolutely incredible um, articles on this particular topic, and we're going to talk about some of them, and I will include them in the show notes. So welcome, Bill. Really excited to have you here. Very excited. It's an absolute delight, and I'm uh, so uh, very grateful to be in such good company. Um, uh, as Tina said, I am indeed coming from the UK. For those of you that haven't spotted the accent, um, uh, I'm looking forward to a, a, a lively debate. Uh, my background is the uh, I, have, I was a, an IBM veteran for a number of years and have uh, done a, a whole load of other stuff since in the in the cloud world, um, specifically uh, hosting sort of major workloads for the UK government. Um, but um, a lot of my recent activity activity has been in privacy campaigning. Uh, you got to pronounce it right and um, uh, take on Facebook and a number of others supporting Max Schrems and bringing cases in the UK. But at the same time, I run an incident response firm um, called The Crisis Team. Uh, and I have some very particular views on what it means to be uh, crisis prepared, the importance of being so, and how closely this relates to the topic of the day, which is cyber yes. insurance. Very nice. Very yeah, very nice. nice. It, it, of course, it is <clears throat> he, he, could read the, he could read the phone book. And it would sound good because he's got that accent. <laughs> I know. Okay, I love the accent, too. Yeah, let's know, be I say, clear. I say a lot of words with the British, the British way, like um, schedule, 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 just because I think it sounds better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> schedule. Yeah. Let me look at my. <laughs> yeah. So I made I made a prediction that in 2022, the cyber insurance industry would go uh, go over undergo a major major change because and correct me if i'm wrong bill i don't see how it can be a profitable business to go into because at the end of the day take like health insurance you know um, i'm sick 
my health insurance company spends money on me. They lose money on me, but they make money from everybody else's premiums or, you know, there aren't like a ton of sick people in the world. Um, So they can make money on that. But with cybersecurity, I mean, every, we, we've talked about this for years. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So I don't, so, so it's a tough business model to me. Am, am I missing something? Well, in insurance, they, they insure against all sorts of different risks, some of them small, some of them large. And the premiums will be adjusted uh, directly in proportion to exactly what the risk is. So I don't think it's the size of the risk that's actually the problem here. It's the fact that you can't measure and price it accurately. Now, if you take uh, a certain complex risks, there are ways in which you can model them. Um, but cyber insurance is one of those things that it's almost impossible to do. Uh, if you're a very large company, maybe one of the, 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 the top companies in the UK, Europe or America, you can afford for a cyber audit to be undertaken, where a group will come in and they'll do a, a really detailed analysis of your entire infrastructure, uh, pointing out vulnerabilities. It can be an enormously useful exercise because they, being independent observers and experts, can actually point out a lot of the potential vulnerabilities that you may have that you possibly hadn't thought of or considered. And therefore, this is a, 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 a an approach that many large companies not only can take, but should take. And it also is a benefit to the insurer because it gives the insurer a really accurate idea of the exact risk that they're taking on. The problem is that these audits aren't easy and they aren't cheap. And therefore, you cannot take that model and take it out to the mid-market or the mass market. Um, When it comes to those sort of markets, you've got to take a slightly different approach. Uh, And the one that's being taken varies from insurer to insurer. Some are using um, uh, uh, template models where you have to fill in a questionnaire and they do various different grading systems and they try and get an idea of of how accurate that is. It's a bit like the the tests we used to take uh, when we were uh, um, leaving school and going to the job market. They try and predict what sort of profession that we'd be right for them. And they're just about as accurate. Um, and then there's um, a risk ratings scheme. And this is something that they they try and uh, pretend that it's uh, akin to Moody's or Standard & Poor's um, in terms of the, the credit uh, risk that they provide, but it, that it's simply providing something for a whoops, help. That's, a, that's an actuary calling you now and giving you a hard yeah. time. Anyway, they try and pretend that they can measure risk accurately, just as they do with financial risk. So they know your credit history and everything, and they can model that accurately. The problem is the way that they do it in in the cybersecurity arena is that they take um, a a web crawler that goes out and looks at externally facing endpoints uh, that can be associated with your organization and test them for known vulnerabilities. This means a number of different things. First of all, um, if you've just done a patch, uh, uh, your your score will be dramatically different from one day to the next before and after the patch, when in reality, uh, most of what's uh, going on inside the organization hasn't changed at all. Uh, Secondly, it's very difficult to 
accurately identify which endpoints belong to you or where all your data is. Because if most of your stuff is hosted in the cloud, or if you're using a, a let's say a, a marketing organization yeah. to do to host most of your customer data, then it won't show up. Um, and this sort of risk rating scheme has been uh, compared to uh, assessing the fire safety of a building from a photograph taken on the opposite side of the street. You can get an idea of the size of the building, whether it's made of brick um, or whatever, but you don't know it's got fire doors. You don't know it's got flammable materials. You don't know it's got a sprinkler system. It's such a crude approach. I mean, I'm sure you can see how how crude this would be. So on that note, Bill, if you had a, um, let's talk about the endpoint situation, all right? For example, let's say I patched today and then there was a breach. The insurance company could certainly come in and pull a report and and see something hadn't been patched properly and then deny a claim. Could they not? Well, that brings us on to one of the the, the consequential issues. Um, If the insurers can't price the risk accurately um, or can't quantify it, the premiums that they're charging, they can't have a a, a really very uh, assured confidence that they're pricing the risk properly. And therefore, um, rather than risk enormous exposure, they build into their policy a number of exclusions in order to limit their risk. Now, these exclusions can actually be quite comprehensive. Um, and, and, and in effect, to, to, to some extent, it can exclude you from almost any claim of any kind. And, mm-hmm. I'll, and I'll give you some examples. Yeah, is, can can, can I just ask one question quickly? Because yeah, I'm, I'm like intrigued. Me too. Yeah. Is, is, is one of those exclusions, um, if the attack happened because of phishing, um, well, th- you, th- you can come on to talk. Let me just give you a few of the examples. Okay. Um, policies tend to not to cover um, a policy where a hacker who specifically targets uh, um, uh, people other than you alone. The most, some of the policies used to say that you had to be the sole target of a hack for the policy to pay up, which this is fairly unrealistic because yeah. companies do a scattergun approach and get right. a whole load of people and they'll, they'll do um, ins- uh, they'll do sort of schools one week, hospitals the next, right. and there'll be right. campaigns. Right. Of that. And also there's supply chain risk. And therefore, if you're right. infected through a, a third party, you wouldn't be covered. They tend not to cover any failure by a cloud infrastructure provider unless you know own the hardware and software. Now, really? How many cloud what? providers are there where you own the hardware and software? They tend None. not to cover. They tend <laughs> not to you. cover incidents yeah, involving a third party, not unduly restricted or financially limited by any term in any of your contracts. Um, now. You need to think about if you've got a SaaS provider or anyone you're working with, unless you have a contract with them, which has unlimited liability, they're not going to cover you. I mean, this is enormously rare. I can't think of any SaaS provider that would provide you with a contract with unlimited liability. And and the reason the insurers uh, insist on that you have this relationship is because if something happens and it's their fault, um, then they want to be able to go after the third party for an enormous amount of money. But it simply isn't realistic to expect you to have an unlimited liability relationship with these companies. 
And our policies also tend not to cover um, incidents involving any individual hacker within the definition of you, so that that in excludes all insider threats. Um, and this is a major concern uh, for a lot of companies out yes. there, and it's specifically excluded my, most of these policies. Yeah. Uh, policies tend not to cover wow. the use of you by any soft use by you of any software assistant that are not supported by the developer. Now, one of the problems here is oh, that I, I, I'm familiar with the NHS in the UK, where um, they're relying on a lot of antiquated equipment. They may have a PC in the corner running uh, uh, an old version of Windows that isn't supported anymore. Right. It may not be the attack vector used by the hackers, but the very presence of a single outdated terminal or, or, or PC uh, within your estate can nullify your entire insurance. They tend not oh to. Oh, my goodness. This is unbelievable. Yeah, this is unbelievable. So, you know, Oh, go ahead. So let me come on. They tend not to cover any uh, 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 incident attributed to any failure by an internet service provider that hosts your website unless such infrastructure is under your operational control. I mean, yeah, <laughs> which isn't that, the case. That's simply not realistic. <laughs> right. They, so, they tend not to cover any act um, that was covered by um, a, a foreign enemy, uh, terrorism, hostilities, or warlike operations. Now, this has actually been used by insurers to protect themselves from claims emanated from hacks coming from Russia, Eastern Europe and North Korea. Um, even though there was never a war declared, they said it was akin to terrorism and, and such warlike hostilities. I mean, almost the vast majority of hacks are going to come from these very countries and, and they're all excluded. <laughs> <laughs> um, policies no, tend not to cover any error or omission arising out of the uh, provision of negligent professional advice or design. Well, this means that if you had penetration testing or that if you went for ISO 27001 accreditation and during the process, any faults were pointed out in your system that weren't subsequently dealt with in their entirety, it would be sort of a known uh, fault. This is like the pre-existing condition thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also on the sort of pre-existing condition, they also tend not to cover anything likely to lead a claim, loss or liability that, that you knew about or ought to have known about before they insured you. And this or is should or ought to have known about. Yes, and and this means wow. that if you went to the board when you first wanted cyber insurance. And in order to explain to the board why you needed cyber insurance, you explain some of your vulnerabilities. All of those vulnerabilities are excluded. Wow. So Whoa. I have a question. So these what? are just some of the examples. Now, what? not all policies are quite the same. So uh, before I, I s s slander people or tar them all with the same brush, just I would absolutely ask people, go through whatever proposed policy you have, clause by clause, to check for some of these exclusions. Because as you've seen, these exclusions are very widespread and could uh, um, mean that your uh, insurance policy is pretty much not worth the paper it's written on. What, what, in, what, what I comes to mind for me, Bill, is the old days of the insurance funds. 
yeah. when when you couldn't insure a risk because the floods or you know yeah. or or a or a situation you know where you had the auto funds of like New Jersey right where you know people could either have the government do reinsurance or self fund a reinsurance policy or something that's what's coming to mind when you speak because it sounds as though if they're going to, the, the exclusions aren't going to work. So it makes it null and void, a policy null and void. Yeah. And, and it's not going to do any good for, for a real enterprise. So with that said, what do you think about these mechanisms that insurers have had for many years to spread the risk in a, you know, in a, in a methodical, proper way? Uh, to shore them up, do you think? Do you think that will be explored? Is that coming? Have you heard anything about that? Well, I, I really think there are some systemic issues. So, part of the reason why well, it all stems from an inability to price the risk accurately, and therefore they're covering yeah. their backsides with some of these exclusions. But you can get around some of the worst exclusions. What you need to have is a really good broker. If you've got a really good insurance broker who knows their stuff and is willing to find you a policy where you can try and avoid some of these, you just need your eyes open. You just need to go into it. But one of the problems we have is most insurances then offset by insurers to reinsurers and so forth. And what they uh, account on is to having a critical mass of insurance. Um, and it's a bit like the, the, the way motor insurance works. Because the motor insurers know that a 16-year-old with a Ferrari is a bad risk, um, <laughs> they, can, they can set yes, the, the yes. premium accordingly. But at right. the same time, because they have so many different people insuring their automobiles, it means that they spread their risk over an enormous market and they have a big book of insurance. Right. Um, the problem we have in cyber is we don't have a massive book of insurance because there's only a, a certain number of people who are actually taking out policies at the moment. Um, and there are uh, the actual amount of capital reserved to cover a lot of this uh, for the potential claims uh, is, is vast. Um, uh, and there is a systemic issue here, especially if we have a massive um, supply chain or a systemic hack, uh, something like uh, uh, the WannaCry virus that went wild and took out right. a whole load of organizations simultaneously. If we have a, a massive thing like that and a lot of people are, are insured and are facing incredible claims, then there, there's potentially a systemic impact on the entire insurance industry. Yeah, makes wow. sense. How, how do you think to think about? Sorry. Absolutely. Another thing to think about here is some of the perverse um, impact that you have because of insurance. Now, so if you're a CISO within an organization and you decide, actually, I think we should have insurance, you're unlikely to be given extra budget for the insurance. It's probably going to come out of right. your cybersecurity budget. Right. And therefore, almost everyone who has insurance spends less on cybersecurity and is therefore a bigger risk. That's sort of a perverse uh, uh, impact of actually having- Kind of the, the chicken and the egg. Yes, that's well, what it sounds like. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually a sort of a, a bit more like the uh, um, turkeys and Christmas. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, there are other incentives because, or perverse impacts. Um, 
a lot of the insurers not only want to limit the claims and their exposure, but want to limit the cost of um, the, the incident response and some of the other things. So what they do is they will give you a prescribed list of uh, uh, um, providers that they have pre-approved that aren't going to stiff them on the costs. Um, and if you use one of these incident response firms to come on and fix the problem when, when you've called your insurer um, because they're prescribed by the insurer and you've got to use them, although the costs won't be covered, just think oh. about who are those incident response teams actually working for? Are they the working insurance for company. Yeah. Or the insurance company. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the insurance company. Basically, all of their business comes to them because of the insurance company, because they're on the approved supplier list. And they're only ever going to deal with you on this one incident. They're re reliant on all the rest of their business from the insurer. And therefore, if during their due diligence in terms of fixing the problem, they come across some sort of fault on your part that might exclude the policy or might negate uh, your cover, they're going to point it out to the insurer. And therefore, by inviting an incident response team in that is one of the prescribed uh, people that the insurer has mandated, you're opening yourselves up to these people looking everywhere, finding something. And the chances are, if they want to find fault, they probably will find fault. And if they want to exclude your premium and they're, if they're encouraged by the insurer to do so, they will. So, Bill, what's a, what's a nice gal supposed to do? <laughs> well, one, one of the things that you need to think about is, first of all, we need to think that cyber insurance needs to go hand in hand with cyber security and incident response. It is not a substitute for either. Right. That that is such that is such a well said point. Yes, we have Secondly, to we have to take that quote and put it everywhere, everywhere. every day, and put <laughs> and please uh, hashtag zero trust while you're at it. Too. Oops, that I couldn't help it. It comes out like it's like comes out of my pores. I can't help it. Zero trust. Zero trust. Zero trust. Because well, maybe you could extend zero trust to the insurers. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, I would love to. I would love are, to. Are, are there uh, any? Are, are there any insurance policies or, or any broker or any um, policies that you've seen that are pretty good policies and and worth investing in? Okay, what you need to do is to find a reputable broker, and there are some out there. Yes. You need them to act on your behalf, first of all, to look at the policies to make sure that they don't have some of the worst exclusions in them and some of the ones we've just covered. Secondly, you need also to ensure that your policy doesn't necessarily prescribe who you have to use in incident response. Um, uh, it is far preferable to have the choice of the incident response team such that they are definitely working for you and not for the insurer. Um, and, and finally, you probably need to think a little bit more broadly than just the fix. And some policies, well, all they'll do is pay for the technical fix. This is a bit like having uh, insurance and, and as a pedestrian, you're hit by a, a, a motorist. 
you would possibly expect the somebody to call an ambulance, put you in the ambulance, take you to hospital, have them to check you out at hospital, and then if you're injured, to have a some sort of specialist surgeon um, uh, uh, save your life effectively. But if you've got the minimum level of assur- insurance, which is just to fix the ongoing problems so it doesn't happen again, it's a bit like the, 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 the um, ambulance turning up, them getting a stretcher out, them stretching you to the side of the road and leaving you at the side of the road <laughs> whilst they disappear, because effectively that's all they're doing. Um, so you need to think, and the, the elements that, that I think you need to consider in terms of incident response are, first of all, the technical fix. You need to be yes. confident that the team are really capable, that they're going to find the exact nature of the problem, that they're going to find the full extent of the problem, and that they're going to provide accurate cyber forensics. I was just going to say, how does forensics fall into this? Um, it needs to be accurate. And the reason it needs to be accurate, because the second team you need is a really good legal team. They need to take the forensics and look at exactly what happened. And mm-hmm. from that, they need to do, derive a legally defensible narrative. Now, that legally defensible narrative needs to defend you in front of any potential litigation, in terms of any regulation or whatever, because uh, the chances are you will be facing uh, some music in one form or another. And, and it, that legally defensible narrative could well save your skin. The third team needs to take the legally defensible narrative and employ it in terms of reputation management into a brand defense plan. And the brand defense plan needs to actually uh, uh, save you in the press, in the media and everywhere else. And then finally, you need a a sort of social media team that can possibly use um, trusted voices out there to help counter the uh, hysteria and the misinformation that naturally goes with this type of incident. Um, And and this comes at a time when your company's own reputation is possibly at an all-time low, and anything you say, even if you're seeking to counter misinformation, possibly won't be believed. Um, and therefore, you probably need to, to some trusted voices out there to act on your behalf. And that's one of the services we provide uh, at the crisis team. But the th- of those steps, I think the technical fix, there are lots of companies out there that I actually think are really credible and that you could call in to do that. On the legal step, there are more and more companies out there, but just be a little bit cautious because a lot of, fee, uh, of legal uh, companies have beefed up in order to deal with sort of privacy and GDPR and some of the, the newer regulations in California and elsewhere. But these are, are just about got, that got together in terms of um, uh, privacy. They really don't understand cybersecurity. So you need to be a little bit more selective and, and do your search well in advance. The third step around reputation management, you need to be really, really careful because the vast majority of um, crisis management firms will get you into more trouble than you already are in. Yeah, you don't want that. No. And and I'll explain why, because there's a standard formula that PR teams and crisis management teams use in a particular incident. Imagine if if we're, we're in a bank, and the, some guys have come into the bank with guns and they're, they're seeking to withdraw a, a, a sizable amount of cash that they're not entitled to. 
Um, it, it, you, you, we can all picture the scenario. Um, when it comes to be written up by the press, when the sort of public opinion uh, around this occurs, um, it's going to be very obvious to people who the victims and who the villains are in this scenario. And the press and the public always look in a very simplistic manner for victims and villains. Um, in this scenario, the villains are obviously the guns, the guys with the guns. And the victims are the bank, its customers, and its staff. And in that scenario, yeah. the standard crisis management technique is to wheel out a senior banking executive and for that executive to show enormous empathy for his staff and his customers and to, to show that they're really taking it seriously. <coughs> and by showing empathy, they will, as a, because they're perceived to be a victim, they will receive sympathy. And that is naturally what occurs in almost all crisis management uh, response plans. If you use that Cyber's approach... Cyber is different, though, because in yeah, cyber, you use that typically... Approach, the, yes. the, the yeah. victim, yes. the villain, is the company that got hacked. Right. Yeah. Well, so look at this exactly the same scenario. Right. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Right. The bank right. may well have been the victim of a hack. So it's been the victim of a crime. But in the media and the court of public opinion, it will be seen as the villain for not having prevented the attack. And this is almost unique in the fact that I can't think of almost any other um, uh, facet or, or area of business where um, a victim of a crime is seen to be the blame for having been a victim. So in that scenario, if you wheel your executive out and, and he tries to show empathy having been hacked, he will get shot to pieces and um, he will be right in the firing line. You do yourself more harm than good. Now, most crisis management firms and most PR teams simply don't understand the difference here, simply don't know that a totally different approach is required for a cyber incident. And therefore, when I go back to you say you need to be prepared, you need to think long and hard before a cyber incident. Well, what is the technical team that we're going to have ready to call upon when we need them in a, an incident of this kind? What is the legal team? And do a little bit of research about a legal firm that understands more than just the basic GDPR and privacy stuff that really understands cybersecurity and the nuances here and can develop a, a legally defensible narrative for you. Get a re reputation management team that really understands cyber, has done it before and knows the differences there. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself into a load of trouble. And when it comes to the social media side of things, get hold of some of the leading uh, independent, trusted voices out there who could talk on your behalf um, when your credibility is an all-time low and you you simply won't be able to counter misinformation and hysteria on your own. Wow, that Perfect. that is such good advice yes. for for everybody listening. I mean, that you 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 just told them what to do. Yeah, yeah, and, and free free consulting. That's wonderful. I, I've never thought about that. I've never thought about um, <clears throat> that in the cybersphere, it's actually the it would be the bank, the hacked company that is seen as the bad guy. Right. I, I right. never thought about that. Well, because the consumer you need to understand because, it if you're actually going to have the right approach. Right. Because yeah. the consumer is put upon, you know, yep. the consumer feels like they're the victim. You know, every time Neiman Marcus got hacked, it irritated me, 
you know, even though <laughs> me too, well, they, didn't right? learn. <laughs> they didn't learn. I guess that was the hardest part of it that yeah. it kept happening. You know, um, that was the worst part. We're, we're starting to, uh, to, to get to the top of the, the hour, aren't we? Should we have a wrap up, uh, wrap up time and see what, uh, See what's but on Bill's mind. I, I don't want to, to paint an entirely negative fe- uh, a picture here. There, there are decent brokers out there. There okay. are policies where you can negotiate and your broker can do on your behalf to, to get rid of some of the worst exclusion policies. Um, I think regulation's coming to try and enforce um, a greater rigor in terms of pricing and um, policy writing. Um, and I think there are uh, more and more teams. And I think we're well served at the technical end. It's just actually further down that chain with legal, reputational and social. You need to be quite discerning in terms of, but a little bit of research, a little bit of preparation in advance. Um, and, and one of the things I would advocate here is actually practicing. I mean, we all recommend that people test their backups because the last thing you want to do is to go and look at a backup or after an incident and find that it hasn't been working for X number of months because you never tested it. Well, you need to test your incident response scenarios. You need to know that these experts that you're going to call on uh, on, on a particular uh, day are going to be there to help you and possibly that during the rehearsals, they could take mm-hmm. you through some of those steps so that you can well be well prepared. So I, um, great. I, since we are getting to, to, we have 10 minutes left. How about, how about this, this bomb for you? Does insurance encourage bad guys? Someone said that on a recent uh, panel that I was on and I thought that was ridiculous, That's but. Interesting some, question. Yeah. Some I, people I, I, will say that. Yeah. But the bad guys want to know that they're going to be paid. Um, and therefore, if you have got insurance policy, it doesn't guarantee you'll be paid because in certain countries, and it varies from country to country, the actual ransom cannot be paid by the insurer. So it, uh, there are certain countries where I th- believe the US is one where um, you can't get insurance that would cover the actual ransom payment. It'll cover most of the rest. Wow. And therefore, just because you're insured doesn't necessarily guarantee that the, 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 the crooks are going to get paid out. Um, one of the things that you, you need to consider, though, is that the, 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 the effects of insurance can actually be worse on the client side of things because it can lead to complacence. And that comes back to my earlier point that um, cyber insurance is never a substitute for decent cybersecurity and incident response. Right, right, right. So, Tyler... Um, what do you think? Do you think it encourages? I mean, you're you're a cybersecurity expert. What, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, you know, to, to kind of tack on to Bill's point, like it, especially in, in, in ransomware instances. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I could see where it could be kind of the, well, we have cyber insurance. So, you know, we don't have to necessarily it, it, like a what's the word I'm looking for? complacency yeah okay well the complacency is real the complacency is real and it is an issue we hear that a lot when we go in to talk about you know zero trust well we have a vpn and a firewall you know if you only knew what was happening right um 
Yeah, but from, from, the, from the perspective of the people who are after the ransom, they want to be sure that you're going to pay. So it's not necessarily a question of whether you have insurance. It's possibly if there's any track record, if you have paid out in the past, you will go top of the top of the list of their suckers list of somebody who'd like to pay out again. Right. Um, if, the, if you get hacked and, and for many, many companies that do pay a ransom, they find that they are hacked again within the next year. The yeah. reverse is true. If you refuse to pay a ransom, you are less likely to be the victim of a follow-up attack because the, the ransomware guys think you're a bad bet. Uh, and th this issue, I have such a difficult time with it because prevention is what is needed. But say you didn't have prevention and you're a hospital. What do you do? I mean, it's it's... It's such a difficult situation to be in. And I, 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 there will be a time, by the way, speaking of these hospital attacks, where at some point someone in the hospital is going to be killed because they're not getting the right treatment or whatever it is. It really that, happened that's in Germany. Happen. The, the, Germany, there's a record of, of uh, at least one patient dying um, as a direct result of a, of a cyber attack. How um, would cyber insurance deal with that? I'm not sure if the, 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 the hospital in question was actually covered by insurance, but no doubt there is an exclusion somewhere to fit every particular scenario. Yeah. It, are, are, <laughs> um, are, are there some, are, are there things like, like um, things that you would want to see in a policy? Like, like we've talked about what we don't want to see, but are there some things you do want to see? I, I would like to, well, if you're going to negotiate a, a policy uh, and you need to get a, a really good broker to do so on your behalf, um, you want to get rid of some of those woeful exclusions. You need to have the independence to appoint your own uh, response team, uh, the technicals that they're working for you. And you possibly also need to think ahead in terms of, well, am I covered for the technical piece? Does it also cover the legal piece? Does it cover the reputational piece and the social piece? Do, do Are all those covered? And if not, well, do we have separate budget to cover that if if it occurs and who specifically do we think we want to cover all of those on our behalf uh, do we want to rehearse them do we want to do all those things um, and make sure that all of that is baked into the planning wow so so just like any other business continuity plan yeah. really i mean uh pretty much it, it i think about the time after 9 11 when i used to sell a system where you would you know go out and try to sell business continuity plans and how it was popular for a short amount of time after 9-11. And then everybody said, well, it's so expensive and it became unpopular because it was two times everything. I really hope that government and insurance companies find some solutions where they can underwrite, where they can have an actuarial model to, to figure out the, a better way to do this. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm going to say, I know it's probably not done, but you know, I think that, um, that there are brokers here, you know, I've, I've worked with, um, you know, the Marsh Max of the world, the Aon, you know, former Aon. Uh, and I think that they, they know what they're doing here in the U.S. I don't know what they do overseas, but, um, you know, I'd like to see them considering zero trust. I really would. Uh, just like with your home insurance, if you put a, if you put an alarm system in that you get a break, if you, if they are getting to that point, but I think, Gosh, that, from what you've said, it's a ways off, Bill. Yeah, um, it sounds like it's a ways off, are, but 
but maybe there are some not. decent insurers out there. Don't, don't don't get me wrong. There are some decent insurers and some decent brokers. You've got to find them. Um, and they're not the cheapest in the market. Uh, an alarm should right. be going off in the back of the head if, if, if you're getting a, a particularly cheap quote. And there are some companies that offer to give you uh, a quote within an hour and you possibly need to think <laughs> how much due diligence have they done in that hour? Exactly. What have they done in the last hour to, yeah. to, to yeah. actually come up with a price? Um, so you need to consider those type of things. Yeah. We also possibly need to think as a, a society about how we can actually enforce better cyber hygiene across yes. the board so that not everyone has to rely on insurance. But right. also, one of the things that we saw in the UK with the IRA and terrorism, whatever, um, we actually had the government step in and offer to be the insurer of last resort for terrorism. And therefore, people weren't left on the hook for terrorist incidents and the government would always step in and, and cover you. Uh, at some point, we may need to think with massive systemic um, cyber attacks that the government may need to fulfill that role because the insurers may not be able to cover it right. in the same way as it works with terrorism. And, and actually, some of this cyber crime is being seen as akin to terrorism. Um, and we possibly need to think in those terms. Um, but... Who knows, that, that may need to come hand in hand with regulation by the government to make sure that we all take it seriously. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, absolutely. and I do know that the government is, I mean, they really are, they, they are t finally taking ransomware, taking cybersecurity seriously. And I think that's kind of, that's a good sign. Um, and I think the reason for it is because the, the attacks have just grown exponentially and with more and more and more and more connected devices, also with the shift from working from home, the threat landscape just dramatically grew exponentially. Yes, it did. The, that attack surface when we all went home got crazy. Yeah. But the, my, the, the, the parting words would be, I certainly think one of the areas that are least well covered at this moment in time are the two last elements of that, the reputational and social. Uh, and, and if you come and contact me, you can reach out to Bill Mew or whatever. Um, I can give you some advice on, on that particular front. But don't, don't for a moment think there is an easy answer. If you're getting a quote in an hour, if you're getting a, a cheap premium, you need to think further down the line, is this going to pay out? Is this actually going to be any use to me? And, and what we saw during the pandemic were companies that had taken out um, business insurance that had protected them from a pandemic. And they found that the insurers refused to pay out because they couldn't possibly hope to cover everyone with a policy. And it all went to court and it was a, a very nasty mess. Um, you may find that if you go for a, a quick and a cheap policy and think you're covered and are complacent as a result that you're your own worst enemy yeah it makes sense it makes sense bill yeah bill, bill you have been gosh you have been a world of information i mean just a, <laughs> I, I i know what a, what a wonderful <laughs> gift i'm i'm so grateful that you are here today what a gift you've given so many people um i hope that i hope that this is this goes viral um not for us, but for for those that need to hear it, because it's a very serious issue. 
It's it's yeah. huge. And I'm you laid out so exactly life. what to look for and yeah. what not to look for. So, I mean, you just gave free consulting to lots of people. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You did. They're very fortunate that if they listen to this, they'll hear it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been much. a delight. Thank you so much, both of you. And I hope that the, the, the audience get um, um, some good insights and uh, come back for more. I, I think that they will. I, I, I know that they will. And please go and read Bill's articles on this topic because they are very good. They're very well written. And again, it's kind of like free consulting again because you're getting exactly what you need to know. So right. thank you so much, Bill. Thank you, Tina. This was an awesome episode. Um, Join us next week for another episode of My Connected Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to My Connected Life. We have much more for you next Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be careful with your data and your life.